secret I won't tell anybody it's hard to know who to trust it is the mystery of an awesome secret it is the miracle of everlasting life we'll never be sick we won't get any older and we won't ever die hey there and welcome to rewatchability this is the podcast where we watch old movies to see how they hold up now in the modern eye we are an entertainment one podcast and my name is blaine waters and joining me, as always, is Robert Larone. <laughs> what, Sonny? Oh, okay. I thought we were doing a ghost movie for a second. You better recognize. <laughs> oh no! Um, and uh, J.M. McNabb, <laughs> and reluctantly J.M. McNabb. Uh, I was like, should I do a voice? I'm not doing a voice. <laughs> you also sounded old and world weary. <laughs> I am old and world weary. <laughs> That's my Me too. That's my resting voice. <laughs> oh God! Oh. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're what uh, nine years older than when we first started this podcast. So we are oh. we are old uh. old men. <laughs> but this is a great movie to talk about because when I first saw this movie, I was you know we were kids, and now I'm way closer to thinking about my own mortality. So it'll be interesting to talk about. <laughs> This is 1985's Ron Howard's Cocoon that we are going to talk about today. And uh, we're not going to do a mini episode on this. We're just going to do a straight up, old fashioned, old school rewatchability because of the old people in this. That's all. <laughs> we fear change. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Um, <laughs> well, also, I, we should address like the elephant in the room is that this movie is. We we decided to do it because we thought it'd be fun, but it is insanely hard to find. Like, this is one of those movies that's not available digitally anywhere at all. It's like yeah. it's not on streaming, it's not on Netflix, it's not on iTunes, it's not on anything. It's barely in circulation on DVD. Like, I found it, they have it at our local video store, or my local video store that's thankfully still around, but, like, the Toronto Library doesn't have it on DVD. Like, nobody has this movie. This was a, a huge movie. I know. Uh, that's insane. What happened? Did Ron Howard get canceled? <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, the fifth most popular movie that year in 1985. Like, it, it was was a huge box office hit and and no one's talking about it because it's also <laughs> because it's cocoon because <laughs> it's the movie cocoon that's why no one's talking about it but there was a blu-ray released with like behind the scenes stuff and i think that was cut. overseas i don't even think that was here i couldn't find it i couldn't find any because we you know we try to dive deep into these movies and pull up some uh some stuff on them i couldn't find the blu-ray because i was like i want that commentary i want to know 
But but this is a good. I I do like highlighting these movies because it's a good example of why we need video stores because there are certain movies that just either fall through the cracks and people don't think they're worth uh, you know putting on streaming or there's a lot of movies where there's like issues with like you know the song rights or something and it's Mm -hmm. the studios don't think it's worth it to you know clear those rights for streaming or whatever so they don't invest the money and they and you just can't find them if you don't have a video store near you and and now we have to rely on criterion to come in and save cocoon (laughs) (laughs) well do we (laughs) (laughs) so i'm gonna start with you rob did you have you seen this movie when did you first see this movie was this a movie on your radar you know, I thought that I'd seen this movie. I'm not really too sure. I have memories of it. I, I'm sure I saw at least part of it, but maybe I'm just having flashbacks of a Quaker Oats commercial. <laughs> or like uh, Batteries Not Included. Or Batteries Not Included. I was also thinking that. Like, they just got messed up in my mind. I, 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 yeah, I don't have any strong memories of seeing this. I think I may have seen it a long time ago with my parents, like when I was a kid. But, uh, yeah, and I haven't seen it since. And that was one of the reasons why I thought it would be a great idea to, to, to check it out. Because, uh, you know, I, obviously Ron Howard has gone on to do many things. And Wilford Brimley, still kicking. He's, uh, he hasn't <laughs> yeah. gone away to cocoon land yet. <laughs> oh, God. That's what we're calling coffins right now. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I thought it would be a, a great one. What about you, Jam? I watched this movie when I was a kid. My parents rented it. And, you know, it's. I was thinking about this now because when I watch stuff with my kids, like, I put a lot of thought into it, into, like, is this appropriate? Is this, you know, does this have good content in it? Is this something that they should be watching at this age? And think about, like, watching Cocoon with my parents in the 80s. It was literally just like they were like... I mean, it's not rated R, and we want to see it, so let's all watch it. <laughs> because there's really nothing in this movie for a small kid. I mean, I know they throw there's a kid a boy. in at the end. Yeah, they throw a boy in at the end. Yeah. It's like, okay, maybe some, some small children are watching. Let's give them something at the end and at the very beginning. But there's a yeah. lot in between. There's just, like, old men talking about boners. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I will say that I had... I taped off TV the sequel, Cocoon the Return. So I I had vague memories of this, but like after I finished watching this, I watched the trailer for the sequel. And like, oh man, that came just flooding back. Like I have very vivid memories (laughs) of watching the sequel over and over again for some insane reason. That's amazing. That's like Ghostbusters. Like I know the sequel so much better than the first movie. Same. Yeah. Yeah, but I was eager to rewatch it, but like it's not something I've seen over the years. It's not something I, I you know, sought out specifically. Uh, what about you, Blaine? <laughs> it's this is a fucking weird movie, even just for me personally, just because um, my grandfather lived in Florida, like down the street from this town. Wait, and... what? It's a real town? Yeah, yeah. Where they film? Cocoonsville, USA? <laughs> Cocoonsville. <laughs> All it is is swimming pools for miles. <laughs> Does your grandpa know Wilford Brimley? <laughs> no. No, that'd Rob, be Rob, you know though. how movies work, right? <laughs> <laughs> All this time, really. Rob's just been playing along. Um, 
Yeah, so it's it's weird. Like when I look at pictures of myself with my grandfather, with that, which I kind of like dug out, and he like loved to swim. He would fall asleep in the pool, <laughs> which sounds dangerous. Uh, but he would uh, he would float on his back and just fall asleep. It was this weird thing that he did. <laughs> so, oh no, that looks dangerous. Someone toss a toaster to Grandpa. <laughs> wake, wake him up. <laughs> wake him. Just startle him a little bit. Just startle him. Um, and then when I look back on pictures, it's like us both in swim trunks and me with that haircut of that kid and so it's just like um and i and i lost my grandfather like a couple of years ago and so this movie like watching this movie like brought back all these memories and stuff of him right. and it was just a weird movie to watch like a weird movie to bring that all up i wasn't expecting it i do have to say blaine that kid is very blaney he, he's a very blaney child <laughs> right I like how you uh, how you'd get a Blaney child. You'd be like, "Yeah, do I want to hit that kid? He's probably Blaney. He's probably like a Blaney kid. He's a bit Blaney. <laughs> He's alone. His only friend is a telescope, <laughs> <laughs> and his grandpa when he's not off at the pool talking about boners." <laughs> God. So uh, I watched this movie when I was a kid, and. I think I watched it like with my grandmother. I have like these vague memories of it. And we had it, I think we taped it off TV. Like I remember this in the early 90s or something. And I loved it because it was aliens. Like I think that's where they were trying to get the kid segment. They're like, hey, put put in an alien and put in a kid that looks like Elliot and you'll be fine. Oh, man. Yeah, th- they put this kid in a red hoodie at the end. And oh. they, they could not have been more. They may as well have named the kid Elliot because it was so obviously trying to do the E.T. thing. I know. It was so funny. And so I remember just loving it for the only the alien part. Like, that's all I remembered. I remember the, the old people, like, diving into the <laughs> pool. And I remember the pods. And I remember the aliens taking off human skin and that being so cool. Uh, but I don't... Like I, I didn't, I didn't remember any of the boners. That's for sure. Or oh, man, uh, I, I will say that was that was one thing that I remember distinctly about this movie was being freaked out by the aliens taking off their skin, which I know we'll talk about, but legitimately terrified me as a child. It legitimately terrified me as a grown ass man. <laughs> it was scary. It was gross. Uh, did you guys ever read that book? Um, my teacher is an alien, or my teacher yes! from the planet. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I and love it, that series. Uh, yeah, it was so cool. And the the um the teacher had like fake human skin on, and that's what it always yeah. reminded me of. Anyway, I just realized this podcast is basically our alien swimming pool. It's where like we're pretty old now, <laughs> and each week we just like dive into like all this stuff that existed when we were kids, and makes us feel like we're young for forty five minutes a week. This Rob's is just... the only thing keeping me alive. <laughs> just don't go on ad nauseum about boners and we'll be fine. <laughs> too late. Uh, too <laughs> late. So, yeah. So this this movie, I didn't expect it to bring back so many memories. But, it, yeah, it was, I guess, a more important movie than I remember in my youth. So wow. uh, it, it was really fun watching again. And let's... I don't it was think... the cocoon from which you emerged an adult butterfly. A man. (laughs) Maybe that. A man butterfly. Man (laughs) with wings. So for those who maybe remember this as the fever dream that it surely was for many kids, Rob, do you want to run it down for people? Sure. 
Well, it starts with a kid looking at the moon through a telescope, and this is the Blaney kid that we <laughs> talked about earlier. And then we're sort of flying through space to Earth, and we see the ocean where there's a whole bunch of dolphins who are losing their shit. They are going they're going crazy cuz there's like this beam of light and a whole bunch of stuff happening and there's all this bad compositing with like the green screen. It's it's really epic. You're going to see at this moment Douglas Adams standing up pointing at the TV being like, "Put that's that's my shit." <laughs> they're stealing. <laughs> Well, also, like, around this time was Star Trek Four, wasn't it? Like, how many movies yeah, yeah. opened with marine life just going nuts about aliens? And mammals, too. At least pick a real fish. How about a tuna? <laughs> <laughs> the, the silver tuna in the moonlight. <laughs> Majestic. Meanwhile, there is this seniors' residence. It's like a seniors' community village type thing nearby. And we got all these old people who are living their old people lives, you know, going to the store and getting groceries together and all of that stuff. And uh, we got, of course, the great Wilford Brimley. And also Hume Cronin is there, and Don Amici are the the main dudes. And, you know, they're, they're doing old dude stuff, being retired. The most excitement that they get, in any sense of the word, is sneaking into the uh, neighbor's pool and going for a little bit of a swim. So this is, like, their big thing that they do. Yeah. Except... Sorry, I'm just Go gonna I'm just gonna barge in here to say how depressing the beginning of this movie is. It's like the most depressing thing. I was like, how was this uh, like a feel good movie? This starts with like a woman coming out of a car with a group of her friends, and then her introducing herself to one of her friends because she has Alzheimer's, uh, which is scary as shit. And then like one of the next scenes is them walking to the pool, and on their way they see a man die. And the orderly is, like, drinking from a fountain, just talking about their weekend as the man dies. Yeah, it's it's just another day for them. It's like that Sarah Pauly movie. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it needed some aliens. (laughs) That was the thing that was missing. Sorry, uh, go on. Go on, Rob. (laughs) Also, we have Steve Gutenberg. He is also in this movie, apparently. I guess after getting busted out of Police Academy, he has a boat now. That's his thing. (laughs) And... uh, He's down in his luck, you know, not making too much money. He's getting screwed by the people who are hiring him. And it seems like he's in big trouble. He's going to be thrown off his slip until uh, (laughs) Brian Dennehy comes along and he offers to rent his boat for 20 days. So good for him. It's going to be pretty sweet. He'll do a little bit of fishing, a little bit of cruising. It'll be nice, right? Right. (laughs) I think I think like they were making this movie and they were like, well, who do we get for this role? And they're like, well, it is the 80s. And then just Steve Gutenberg showed up. It's like, hey, I'm here. I, he was the only leading man that was available, I yeah. guess. If you needed like a mildly affable, mildly annoying guy, you knew, where, you knew who to call. Well, also, I think, and I just read this today, I think, because uh, Steve Gutenberg is on a new uh, anthology show. And was in the mm. news. I always, you know, I have a Google alert for Steve Gutenberg, <laughs> and it went off today and woke me up at four a.m. And uh, Project Gutenberg. <laughs> <laughs> no, a but Guten he, alert. Yeah. I think he was up for the Hanks part in Splash. Oh, 
the other more popular, widely available uh, <laughs> Ron Howard aquatic-based comedy that we perhaps should have done this week. But So maybe Ron Howard gave him this uh, role to kind of uh, make up for that. Who and knows? Splash, Splash was the movie before this movie for Ron Howard, which is an insane thing to think that he was like, I got a theme going. I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> People have come to expect one thing from me. I'm not going to let them down. Magical creatures at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. It's just his thing for, for the span of uh, a few years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So everything sort of goes on. Brimley and his pals keep on sneaking into this pool, which Brian Dennehy has also rented. So they decide to keep on doing it, even though now there's somebody living there to hell with it. But they go and they find these weird things in the pool. These They, they look like, you know, stones or... I don't know, uh, mossy testicles. I'm not sure. <laughs> God. Yeah. They, are, I don't know what they, they are. They are kind of old manish testicles, honestly. This There's is... barnacles on them. I feel great. Me too. You wouldn't bullshit me. My God, I'm telling the truth. Huh? Why shouldn't he feel good? I feel tremendous. I'm ready to take all the world. Oh, oh. It's weird. Was there like a popular 80s like comedy about seniors apart from this that I'm forgetting? Because everything else about this movie feels like they're throwing popular movies at the time kind of into a blender. Like we said, we've got yeah. the kid from E.T. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Steve Gutenberg in there. And then we've got like basically the... <laughs> we've got the, uh, the basically like the eggs from Alien in, oh, in the bottom yeah. of this pool. Like, oh, it, yeah. I think I, I mean, uh, batteries not included came out a couple years after this, right? Was so after, I think, yeah. I think yeah. like it was the popularity of this that led to that. Yeah, it feels like what an insane pitch this movie must have been. Like, you like ET? You like Alien? <laughs> Uh, you know, just all these movies combined, and they're like, let's do it with old people. And everyone's like, <laughs> it's a hit. Do it. Let's get this, like, un- like just proven director to direct. It's so Kids weird. Kids love seniors. They love their grandmas and grandpas. <laughs> Wouldn't they want to go see a movie about their grandmas and grandpas? Sorry, Grandma. Can't visit this week. Me and my friends are going to see Cocoon again. <laughs> I wish Jessica Tandy was my grandma. <laughs> uh. Yeah, it's just such a it's just such a weird pitch. Like I can't believe it got made. I mean, we'll go into how it got made, but uh, a little bit. But um, I can't believe it, it got there. Anyway, yeah. I mean, but, I don't know if we can legally say on a podcast that we're going to say how it got made, but you know, we'll, we'll talk about how it came into production. <laughs> yes, the little known podcast, how it came into production. <laughs> We were a podcast first. Okay, go on. Okay, but so now these guys were feeling old and tired and weary, and some of them couldn't get boners, but after swimming in this pool, they feel alive. They're they're swimming and diving and splashing each other, and yes, they're getting erections and talking about their erections with each other, which... uh, I, I, was that a thing that people did back then? Is that something that we should be doing? <laughs> I think. Is that, as, any as of you guys get, have an erection right now? As we get older, I think we need to talk about it more. 
you know, just to keep the youth and vitality alive. Yeah, it was right. a weird scene where they're kind of coming out of the pool. First of all, they get into the pool and they're like, I feel terrific. Like, just is that normal talk anyway? And then they're walking well, back. Well, aqua to the fitness, place. it helps, you know? Right. <laughs> yes. And then they're walking back, being like, someone has to broach the conversation first. Like, who's the guy brave enough to be like, guys. You're standing on either side of me, and my arms around your shoulders, and uh, I have a rock hard Woody right now. <laughs> like it's just who who brings it up first? That's a courageous man. Courageous. Yeah, man. yeah. Well, I mean, Wilfred Brimley's character uh, is a bit of a horn dog throughout this movie. He's uh, you know, there's like a few questionable things. Like at one point, he uh, he says like, "Oh, those dolphins look horny." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was actually Steve Gutenberg when they were like in the water. Oh right, it was. <laughs> but like, but no. But this movie has this weird sexual undertone that I think you're getting at, Rob. <laughs> it's just like it's it's so weird and out of place with the rest of the movie. Well, guess... the Gutenberg of it all is definitely like he's spends most of the movie hitting on the the female. Uh, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but alien who's who's <laughs> you know hired his boat. Um, which I know we'll get to, but like he's definitely like creeping on her for a lot of it, and yeah, uh, like at one point that... he like looks through a, a hole in the wall or something. Yeah, he yeah. goes like he's it's like the shot from Psycho with Norman Bates, but he's like <laughs> peeping at her, and it's that's... like a glory hole or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can we get to can we talk about that scene now because yeah. that's when he discovers that like he sees her strip. Down. I think maybe this, like, you know, uh, ravaged my psyche as a kid and, you know, <laughs> formed some kind of, like, uh, yeah, unbalance or something. But it's a very strange scene where he, yeah, he's leering at her through this peephole. It's very Hitchcockian. And he watches her undress. And then she not only takes her clothes off, but peels her skin off and yeah. is revealed to be this uh, shimmering white alien being. Like, it's a very yeah. strange scene. For it's, any movie. what I, I might be weird, but what I find weird about it is that she takes her skin off all the while facing the same direction. And then as she – like when she takes her skin off and exposes her glowing, incandescent, what like must be obscuring skin that she can't really see through, she sees the, the hole in the wall. I'm like, why didn't you see that before? Like, what's, Well, what's probably her eye holes are in the way. <laughs> Those are peripheral vision. <laughs> Um, yeah, anyway, and then that's just, it's just a, it's just a weird scene. It's also like you were scared by this JM as a kid. Was this? Oh yeah, man. I, well, I couldn't remember if it was this scene when I was watching it. They're watching it now. Like that, like I I was joking when I said it, like, uh, it it traumatized me or whatever, but like, it's a, it's a weird intersection of like this kind of horror scene and like this you know, sexualized scene. I mean, I guess yeah. it's kind of his comeuppance for, uh, for peeping on her, but then there's a later scene, uh, which we'll talk about when the aliens all peel their skin off and they kind of toss them in a, a, uh, a trunk, <laughs> a nearby <laughs> trunk. And it's just that, yeah, that like floppy skin all flopping together. Yeah. Like, uh, that's freaky. Yeah. yeah even when, like, like a... Brian Dennehy's in the pool and is like, just his arm skin is peeled off and oh, it's yeah. floating in the water. Yeah. That's really weird. Uh, yeah. We, yeah, we should we should get back into the recap because I feel like a lot of people uh, will not have rewatched this movie because it's impossible to see. Yeah, 
Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, so Gutenberg finds out about the alien, and even before this, they also had like some very awkward, like hitting on uh, her, him, hitting on her, and she's like, "I'm not like other girls," which I mean. She isn't, I guess. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, you, usually you're not supposed to throw another woman under the bus like that, but... Uh... <laughs> checks out. It checks out. <laughs> but um, he keeps, he keeps uh, you know, letting them use his boat. And meanwhile, the old people, they're starting to feel good. And, you know, they do... They're starting to feel more vital. They, uh, you know, have a lot of senior sex, mm-hmm. um, which... I mean, the, the women haven't gone in the pool at this point, so I don't know why they're feeling revitalized. I feel like, I feel like, you know, Wilford Brimley comes with his heart on and he's like, oh, and then she's like, oh, that was, <laughs> uh, I mean, for those of That's you who can't see could... that, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was amazing to witness. <laughs> well, I think I'm pretty sure like a woman's sexual peak is in her uh, mid eighties. So that all makes did, perfect sense. I did hear that women peak after men. Yeah, for sure. I heard that. Yeah. Um, the, the, also, a line that didn't age very well, and I can't think that it would have been great back then, is Wilfred Brimley going in with his heart on into the shower going, I got some, want some candy, little girl. Like, oh, award yeah. for creepiest yeah. line of the movie goes to you, Wilfred. You, you earned it. It. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was nothing, <laughs> nothing about that was, that was, yeah, that was, that was not, you know, that was presumably written in a script uh you know mailed to executives given money uh printed up for the actors said loud by the actor recorded on a film edited in the edited bay you know approved by the director and then printed on film that was shipped all across the world and people spent millions and millions of dollars to see it it almost made me spit up my oatmeal (laughs) um so they do have all this senior sex which hopefully is great because I want yeah. to look forward to. Um, yeah. Well, they have a little blue pill that they didn't have back then, so you're in luck. <laughs> yeah, but you do have to. I. I mean, I don't know a lot about Viagra, but I'm pretty sure it dissolves in a swimming pool, and then you have to <laughs> dive swimming. in and do some backflips around in it for a while, and then yeah, you should be good to go. <laughs> but the other seniors, I mean, they're starting to notice that uh, you know this particular group is a little bit more. Uh, you know, Randy or whatever, and some of them are starting to get jealous. And there's also one guy who they tell about the secret who doesn't want to go in the pool. He decides that he's not going to, even though his wife is really sick and uh, it seems like it could really help her. But eventually, one of the seniors lets all the other seniors in on the secret and so they sort of in like a demonstration of like human beings are the worst they like run over and all of them like all like 50 to 70 to 100 of them just like start jumping in the pool which is at this point full of the uh, cocoons um, which Brian Dennehy has explained the whole sort of backstory all the crazy shit that we saw before with like the underwater ruins and the dolphins freaking out it's all because they're uh, aliens and they once had an outpost at Atlantis and some guys got left behind and Brian Dennehy and his pals are going to get these his their friends from the ocean and in the meantime they just got to keep them wet in the swimming pool because they're like turtles they'll dry out you know <laughs> um, and uh, 
and they have this kind of like life force in the in the swimming pool too, right? Yeah, um, that's right. And so the Brian Dennehy comes back while all the seniors are in there, and they're just like going ape shit. It's like it's like you know, like you feel bad for old people, and then like these old people are like, like taking the cocoon and like smashing it on the side of the pool, like it's a trespassing here. Put down the cocoon. I said, put down the cocoon! Put it down. Put it down. I'm calling the police. Get out. All of you, get out! But what happens is Brian Dennehy comes in and he's like, ah, because they've taken all the life force with their uh, spongy old bodies and sucked it all up. And now there's no more life force of the pool. And, I mean, this is a really sad scene. They like He pulls out one of the cocoons and opens it up. And uh, he, I mean, the, the emotion that this man, this great stalwart of the American stage, who has done Beckett, who has done O'Neill, the, the, the emotion <laughs> of this man acting against this piece of foam rubber. <laughs> It he is, is astounding. Really in this movie. I really he's think so Brian good. Dennehy's good. He he's he a really great actor. Yeah, but he's yeah. like he's so subtle. He's not overacting like Gutenberg is. I mean, Gutenberg I think those are real be... tears. Those are real tears. He's, he's so good, and also he's because he's never been in like human form before. I guess he's like weirded out by the tears. You know, yeah, a little bit. Uh, but yeah, yeah the, it, the the animatronics there are the worst. If they even are animatronics, like. Star Trek is not too far away, like the next generation, and even in that first season, so much better like uh, effects. Like it's crazy. No, I think yeah. it wasn't it just like a puppet or something. I think it was just a puppet. It I thought that like the aliens. It, it wasn't the uh, uh, effects so much for me as it was the design. I thought like like their faces kind of looked like Frank Langella in Masters of the <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Totally. I like that. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I actually thought that like the the dying alien sort of looks like Gina Davis in Beetlejuice when he turns her into like the old woman. That's sort of what. Yes. What they look oh, like. nice. Yeah, yeah. I see that. That's great. Yeah, but it's it's really sad. And it anyway, is. so like that fucks everything up for Brian Dennehy because now they won't have the energy to um, recharge these things and now they won't be able to take them back to their home planet. And uh, this is really bad, I mean, because they've been waiting 10,000 years and also uh, two of his friends died. So Wilford Brimley goes over and he's like, ah, gee, I'm sorry that we uh, screwed everything up and let people in your pool. And, you know, he, he, he tries to ask if there's anything they can do and they decide to all go and help put the cocoons back into the ocean where they'll be safe for another 10,000 years and until they can uh, come back and get them. Mm-hmm. And so they get all the seniors into scuba suits, <laughs> and they go and uh, they plop these things at the bottom of the ocean. Now, this part, I just have to say, is a little bit implausible, because I don't know how fast you guys uh, you guys think that scuba training happens, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a scary thing going underwater to the bottom of the ocean. Like, you would have to, like... There would be all this pressure, and they would have to recalibrate af- at so many like feet below for like so many hours. Like all these old people would be getting the bends and dying. I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> well, also like, why did they need to go down with the the pods? Like, couldn't they just put them overboard? 
like all of Atlantis is down there. Like the structures are down there, like just waiting to be found. Uh, so were the pods. Like Tom Blaine. Hanks and Daryl Hannah are down there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These eggs are so fragile, a bunch of seniors swimming in the pool hurts them. <laughs> True. True. Also, I feel like we're making this movie sound a little more exciting than it is because it's very long and we have kind of leapfrogged over what I think is multiple montages of, of old people doing like young things better than yeah. young people. Like going Don Amici breakdancing. Amazing. breakdancing. <laughs> and you know what? There was a double for one of the cuts in that scene. But no, you of, don't say. No, no. But a lot of it was Don Amici, like on I, on his back, spinning around no, and getting no, down. I think some not. of it was. It, yeah, no, I, no, it really was. He said so in an, in an interview. Well, he was lying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's clearly a guy that's not. The, Don the Amici scenes where he's like tangoing were Don Amici, but the <laughs> the ones where they cut to like a, a distance shot with uh, you know where he's really backlit. I don't think those were Don Amici. <laughs> Uh, no, but Don, there's a there is a scene of Don Amici like spinning on his back uh, with his like legs in the air and then and then pivoting onto his side in like the end breakdance mm. move and that was all Don Amici. He probably uh, had some stuff. They, they do, spin him. <laughs> <laughs> they do do a lot of stuff and like it it made me worried for the actors because like well the actors don't have magic alien juice coursing through their veins yeah. like they could be hurt at any minute. Yeah, Hugh Cronin looks particularly brittle. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. But this this movie is so long. There's so many montages, like you said, and there's so many just so sad parts. Like before they help the aliens, the one of their friends who doesn't want to get in the pool, he wants to just like live his life normally. His wife dies, like yeah. as he's talking to her, and he tries. To yeah, sit. and then he goes to the pool and yeah, tries to revive her, and it's too late. Yeah, it's just so sad. Anyway, that was sad. They played, uh, by, yeah. uh, played by Jack Guilford. Yeah, yeah. Can you help me? I have to do something for her. She, she. The pool doesn't work anymore. It's too late. I'll give you everything I've got. I'm sorry, Bernie. I wish I could help you. It's just too late. Rosie. Oh, Rosie. Great, uh, great actor. And um, so they're when they help the guys out on the uh, on the boat, the the main alien is like, "Hey, you guys should uh, you guys should uh, should come along with us if you want. You want to come back to my place? <laughs> Ten thousand light years away. You and seventy of your friends want to come back to my place? <laughs> yeah, yeah." He offers to take them with them. That's, you know, it's amazing. That's, I think, one of the most amazing things about this movie. And and it is a very long movie, but I think, you know, I felt my energy sort of like I got a second wind, you know? (laughs) I felt like I've been emerged in the pool at this point where they're like, oh, there's this possibility where, you know, we wouldn't have to die, where we could live forever. Yeah. But it also becomes really poignant in the second half in a way that the first half wasn't. And I got to say, I watched it in two chunks. So I was like pretty uh, tired of this movie in the first half. And then watching it, uh, watching the second half through, like it's it's really uh, kind of poignant in parts because it's not just uh, that it's sweet that the aliens are taking them along, but it becomes this kind of, uh, you know, this kind of 
allegory for death. Like, yeah. you know, they're talking about like leaving their family behind and saying goodbye forever. And, and, you know, going, you know, going somewhere where, you know, where they'll be happy and live forever. And it's about kind of the grandson, you know, like choosing to believe in this sort of afterlife for his grandfather. It's a kind of a beautiful message that is, completely ruined by the sequel five years later where they all just come back (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah we could talk about the sequel a little bit after the break but uh yeah yeah. um the yeah the the weirdest part of this movie was that the last scene was like all these old people just left and they were like great we're gonna have a good time and they're all like happy and dancing away and on the spaceship or whatever and their families are just like in ruins and they think they yeah. died on like a pleasure cruise like it's just yeah. so sad the bodies were never recovered <laughs> we searched but all we found were these pods so <laughs> we broke them we made omelets <laughs> mm. and uh and that's yeah and that's the the, the movie. yeah there's like a big chase scene i the, i did like the part where the little boy he gets on the boat with them before it uh you know he jumps and manages to get on the boat and then they're sort of speeding away and the coast guard is chasing them and it seems like the coast guard is going to overtake the boat and then the kid decides to jump off so that they'll be distracted so that his grandparents will and the other people will be able to get away i thought oh, that man. was that was the beautiful moment because yeah but that kid could have died that could, yeah. could could have been sucked under the propeller or drowned or yeah, uh, Coast Guard's I, there. <laughs> <laughs> Coast Guard has one job. <laughs> I'm just saying, I I would feel a little bad if I were Wilfred Brimley. I don't know if I'd be able to enjoy my alien joyride quite so much if my grandson <laughs> yeah. was killed in the process. But I, you know, again, it Blaine's all right down there. <laughs> <laughs> that Blaney kid really drowned, didn't he? He just drowned in front of us. I will say I was conflicted again because as much as I enjoyed the the ending of this movie, this whole concluding scene, uh, I did feel again like it was this mashup of other movies. Like it felt like the yeah the yeah. chase of ET with the kid in the red hoodie, and then it was also it was the end of Close Encounters. It was totally. you know the 100%. Richard Dreyfus going off with the aliens. Yeah, I mean this movie owes Spielberg a lot like a lot of movies do in the 80s. And I think that's really what it is. Like, it seems like this was probably greenlit based on the success of Steven Spielberg stuff. <laughs> I mean, he, you know, it's a little bit of everything. A little bit of all of Spielberg's movies. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're going to get... Yeah, didn't he, didn't he do... What was that movie he did about... Didn't he do a movie about old people? I'm going to look this up. Just just old people? He just did a movie? <laughs> well, I know he did. he did produce Batteries Not Included. Yeah. Yeah, but that was after. But before this, well, I mean, his Twilight Zone thing was kind of uh, about old people. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. 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 Like, wasn't it about, it, there was also a Twilight Zone episode about, like, old people regaining their youth and stuff as well. That's the, yeah, that's that the, was his segment on, uh, on oh, in okay. the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, this feels kind of like Super 8 before Super 8. Like the like a mashup of all Spielberg's movies put together with old people with old- and boners. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get back to the movie uh, after this break. Welcome back to Rewatchability. We are talking about 1985's Cocoon, which I'm sure everyone's been been watching as of late. 
because it's so everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking about Cocoon, right? So I have some trivia for you guys. Bring it. And you guys have done a lot of research. You guys always do. And so you guys will know my trivia. I'm sure of it. Um, Ron Howard is... Uh, False. ...is the son of Rance Howard. Uh, he also cast two other children of actors in Hollywood uh, in this film. And who were they? Well, are you counting Clint Howard? No, I'm not. I'm not counting Clint <laughs> Howard. That's okay. pretty good, though. That's pretty good. Who? Hmm. Children of actors. Okay. I remember seeing that um, one of Tyrone Powers' kids was in this. Tyrone Powers 3, maybe? Uh, yeah, the third. Uh, Tyrone yeah. Powers Jr. Um, is, is the name of the guy. And he, yeah, he's, uh, he's one of the alien technician people. Oh, wow. Know. Yeah. Yeah, this was his first film role. How'd he get that part? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then they there's one... give him a scene where he has to duel someone or yeah. And then there's another one other uh, act- actress in this movie. Hmm. I can't think of it. Uh Tawny Welch is uh oh. Raquel Welch's daughter. She's mm. like the the female lead. Alien. She she is the female uh just sex alien. In this, in this oh movie. yes, she doesn't. Have oh, we any didn't even role, talk about the sex we did. scene. We did, yeah, the light sex, God. and we can right now because this this poor actress, her first role on TV. Like I'm sure a lot of actors back in the '80s is just like to be a sex thing for Steve Gutenberg. She doesn't really yeah. do anything else. Well, I mean, at least she's kind of like the uh, you know. It's about. It's not about like him teaching her like. True. How Earthmen have sex. It's about her right. teaching him their their custom for sort of like mating, which involves like glowing and this kind of like ball of like soul magic, you know, <laughs> glowing light that kind of zips around the room and then uh, uh, kind of possesses you. And and that's uh, kinky. What's with glowing aliens? Like ET glowed too. Like maybe Steve Gutenberg. He was trying to have sex with everybody. (laughs) Oh my god! Oh my god! Poor Elliot. (laughs) Let E.T. finger you. No. God damn it. Um, Anyway, it's gross. It's gross. Uh, So yeah, it that was a weird scene. It was a weird scene. But you're right. The saving grace of it was that uh, that she was kind of in control in that scene. It's also weird. Did she go on to do anything else? Do you know? Uh, Cocoon (laughs) two. Cocoon two. That's the answer. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. What were you saying, Jam? Uh, well, it was weird in that scene because I, I I didn't hate that scene, but like the the alien sex scene. But it's weird because like when she's creating that kind of like orb of light, the score, which is a really great uh, '80s sci-fi score, um, yeah, is it like Howard Shore? Or someone did it. I can't remember. Uh, uh, no. Horner. Horner? James Horner. Yeah, James Horner. Right. Yeah. The score is oddly very indicating that something creepy is happening, kind of. It's a very eerie uh, part of the score, as opposed to, like, I feel like it should be something nice, you know? It should be, like, beautiful, but instead... <laughs> I think I read on the IMDb trivia, it is literally a cue from Star Trek II Wrath of Khan. Yes. Re- you are entirely correct. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. The sexiest score... 
<laughs> Horner, the old horn dog, just pulling out the one score he knows that will uh, get everyone. Come <laughs> Wow, that's crazy. So he just that that explains why that music makes no sense for that scene at all. Yeah, it yeah. feels really weird. It does. It, yeah, it's, it doesn't suit it. And I don't know why anyone stopped it. But so much of this movie has like a has weird tones trying to fit with other weird tones. Like it doesn't seem that out of place because uh, everything is like struggling to integrate with everything else. Like as we mentioned before, there's like a nice, fun, like happy scene where aliens create a pile of human skin. (laughs) Yeah, and they (laughs) They shut the box on the the human skin, and uh, they just throw their skin away like like. (laughs) khakis they're not wearing anymore it's terrifying yeah it is terrifying what also was kind of weird about watching this movie i mean watching any old movie doing watchability you kind of it's like canned laughter you're kind of watching ghosts so at some points uh you know people that are no longer with us that were I'm in afraid. these movies um and what? and so this movie was kind of like weird for me to watch just because most of these actors are are, are dead now um one right. of one of them uh, actually passed away uh, this year. Do you guys know who that was? This is a trivia question. I don't know why I'm tr- actually like literally trivializing it. Um, <laughs> I should, well, I, I mean, we, just, we did just lose Brian Dennehy. Is that, that what is? Yeah. That is, yeah, in April. Yeah, in April, and yeah, of natural uh, causes, it wasn't COVID or anything. So that's uh, that's pretty good. Well, that's good. And he's yeah. great. I love Brian Dennehy, and he's great in this. Like this movie is really elevated by its cast, and he's sure. one of them. And I don't, I didn't really know him before, except when I looked up the IMDb, I was like, oh, he's from FX. Like, he's from yeah. that movie that, like, is a fever dream movie for me. Like, I I remember seeing it so many times, but I remember nothing about it. And also, one of my favorite movies is uh, is First Blood. And he's oh, great yeah. 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 He's good in that. Yeah. Um, he's great. So, uh, there... Are those all your trivia questions? No, no. I have... I have I have two more. Well, really? one one more um, for real. So there are a few couples in this film that are like couples in the in the movie itself. But uh, what couple is a is a real life couple when this movie was being filmed? Uh, wasn't it Jessica Tandy and Hume Cronin? It was. It was. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and they were and they were married until Jessica's death in 1994, I think. A lot of these questions are sad. It's a sad movie, JM. It's a sad movie. <laughs> they did lots of performances together. They were known for performing together, and they're both in Batteries Not Included as well. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then he, yeah, and then to make it even sadder, he remarried. Uh, yeah, she died. Well, uh, know, no, it's it's on. kind of nice. It's kind of nice that he that he found love again. Um, and uh, to a children's book author. So that's that's nice. Nice. Um, so my my final trivia question is like, on set they uh, everyone was asked um, as part of this kind of behind the scenes featurette that I couldn't find um, what the what they would do would would you go with aliens or not? And I'm wondering what uh, what you guys what you guys would do. Would you go or would you not? Fuck yeah. You mean I like, got nothing holding me back. Take me. Take me, please. You mean like if we were that old, like if we were the characters, or would we yeah. go now? Because, well, I was going to say I wouldn't go now, but... 
given a given a hard think about 2020 right now. <laughs> Just like looking to see if your family is is listening in on this. Yeah, I don't know. if the family could come, I'm uh, you know Earth is uh, you know yeah it's not a, not doing great. Uh, would we? Yeah. Would I go as an? Yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you? Yeah. That's what I figured. Yeah. A lot of the I mean, actors said no, they, though, which is weird. They don't have a lot of details. Like, what if they got up <laughs> in the ship and they're just, like, a race of, like, genocidal tyrants that are, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. about to go conquer some planet of, you know, harmless aliens. Like, they don't know exactly what they're getting themselves into. Is we fun. use senior citizens for fuel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this this spaceship runs on small gripes, so uh, so it's great <laughs> to have you guys here. Um, There's only one rule aboard a ship: no boners. <laughs> <laughs> no, take us back. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, and it's I, I do want to say quickly: they use the word boner in this movie. It's not like we're obsessed with the word boner. It's just funny no. that they say the word boner in this movie. That's why we're, we're using it so much. We would use other words for boner. We're like, classy. Uh, Chubby, uh, <laughs> stiffy, uh, yeah, That's hard good. on. <laughs> I don't know. Would you go, Blaine, if you were uh, in their position? I mean, if I couldn't take anyone with me, probably not. Although that answer, you was can. Stated. They let them take seventy of their friends. It's more than the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it's more than I can take with me right now. Um, just in life. Um, the it's funny that you mentioned like that um, twenty twenty isn't doing so good, and that might be a reason why you're leaving. Because the book, the message of the book is all about environmentalism. Where wait, where, there's a book. This movie is based on a book. <laughs> um, and well, I it was an unpublished book though. It was an unpublished book. Um, they published it after the movie, but when they sold it. I did one thing I did read, uh, and I read a couple of things about this movie. Was that the guy sold it, and it wasn't published yet. He sold it for like twenty five hundred bucks. Right. Yeah. And then Ouch. he wrote Cocoon: The Return uh, very, very quickly after that. <laughs> the, like the second <laughs> book in the installment, which is actually called Metamorphosis. Um, he and has he wrote a, trilogy. a third one. It's yeah. a trilogy, right? It's yeah. The Cocoon trilogy. The other the other book is called Butterfly. Oh, so, I see how that goes. Yeah. Did you read that interview with him when Cocoon 2 came out? No. No, what did he say? He did an interview where it seemed like he was a little annoyed that they didn't use his book as the basis for the sequel. Because it, it seems like, I didn't read any of the books, obviously, but it seems like the books were pretty hard sci-fi fantasy books. Like, yep. they're not nice. as as comedic perhaps as the movies but like he was in this interview he's like well i told them it was a trilogy when i sold them the idea i don't know why they're not <laughs> returning yeah. to and but yeah. his idea also like uh i mean we'll talk about the sequel maybe and it's got some weird stuff in it but like his idea was also that like one of the old men like had sex with an alien and like the third book's all about like the the alien hybrid children of these old yeah. people so the, oh, man the, the second book is is them in space and they all start being able to be pre pregnant. Um, so, like, a lot of the women are impregnated by alien kids, and a lot of the men impregnate alien women. And um, they're like, well, on in our society, we have to, the children have to grow up on the planet of the mother. 
And so that's why they return is to drop all the children off and then they get the eggs. And then they go back and they leave the children there. And then the third book is all about the children growing up and then finally saying that they're aliens. But they have like when you go into the pool in the original Cocoon book, you get like super strength. You get telepathic powers as well. Um, and you don't go into the pool in the original book. The difference between the book and the movie is that uh, in the book, it was like an alien spa that they kind of went to. <laughs> they, they go in they go in for a Can I get an alien facial please <laughs> be careful what you wish for um but uh yeah they go into like schwitz and then they come out feeling just absolutely great so yeah wow <laughs> and they didn't I mean, use his book for the sequel yeah <laughs> Yeah. So you got to look up that interview because the whole thing is just like I told 20th Century Fox I've got I've got a sequel right here I don't know why <laughs> but he's <laughs> but he's a David Saperstein is an interesting guy the guy who wrote the book because he also like was um, like a, a technologist I guess like he was really into technology and so he got one of the first he was one of the first people onto the internet and he was the first person to publish a novel on the internet so Whoa. he has that kind of distinction. Which is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because um, he was like, uh, he was like, uh, um... wait, do you mean posting it on his blog? Yeah, <laughs> is that what you mean by yeah. published? I, oh, okay, I, I exactly <laughs> do. But he has that distinction, so that's pretty cool, nonetheless. All well, right. do you know about his uh, filmography? Because this is the bit of trivia that was my favorite. Oh, please, oh. like get into it. Because he is also a director. Did you look this up, Blaine? I know that he went into kind of engineering as a major, I think. And then he founded like a kind of a film company that would do stuff for like IBM and and explain technical processes to layman's. uh, So like he was kind of within the film industry uh, when he wrote the book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he directed a few movies. He directed a Peter Weller movie. He directed a movie about... Uh, an astronaut starring Martin Sheen and Christian Ooh. Slater. Right. Ooh. But then the the one that's uh, sort of most relevant to, to our podcast and our interests was a movie I was literally watching last week. Do you know what I'm going to say, Blaine? No, no. Hit me with it. I was literally watching this last week because I was writing something about it. And or about its subject matter, and the movie he directed in 1990 is the making of video documenting the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming out of their shells tour. <laughs> oh yeah, that's amazing! <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Wow, a true artist. <laughs> but that was kind of his wheelhouse, right? Like he he was it was like commercial film, music video type thing. So yeah, sure. Neat. Like yeah. the the novel was a departure almost from that, and then that led to like his biggest fame, which is Cocoon, that no one can. Watch. I don't. I don't know anything about this guy. Is like a true Forrest Gump of the uh, movie industry. <laughs> yeah, he has all these words because he also. Uh, oh no, that was the screenwriter I was reading about. Because the screenwriter also, because this was a giant movie. Like you'd think that this kind of would lead to the screenwriter doing big things, but he only did a few other things. He was one of the things he was most known for in Hollywood has said was uh, was rewriting Free Willy and he didn't even get like a credit on the final version of that there's yeah. aliens below the sea <laughs> he was kind of a script doctor yeah. Oh, yeah. for a long while 
and then now he's kind of a screenwriting uh, guru, I guess. He like sells books on screenwriting and oh, and, and, and courses. Yes, courses. Yeah. His only other credits are the Pinocchio movie with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yep. And oh my God. Zeus and Roxanne from 1997, which is another movie about dolphins and Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> oh my God. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, but that's like all these kind of Hollywood script gurus. They have like this one claim to fame and then they they get into the guru thing. And they're like, oh, like the guy who wrote Blank Check? Yeah. And I, I went to a screenwriting conference at one point um, and everyone was talking about this guy that had like he made a speech or whatever it was it was pretty good i guess and everyone was like he's the he's the best like you gotta work with this guy he, he'll teach you so much and uh and so i signed up for his class and then uh i i figured out like before i went to the first class that his only credit was battlefield earth and i was like what am i <laughs> jesus christ this is the worst so i don't Wait, know the scientologist guy yeah <laughs> No, well, he has credit on Men in Tights. It couldn't have been that guy. No, it wasn't that guy. It was another guy okay. who I think was was like, um, like helped rewrite it. I don't know. Are you a hundred percent sure it was a screenwriting conference and not like a free stress test? No, but I did learn like a lot of things about screenwriting and about thetans, and uh, like I really picked up a lot. I thought I can't remember who wrote it, but there was someone on Twitter recently who said something like, "Every screenwriting book is like, you know, two hundred pages of like laying out the fundamentals of storytelling and screenwriting, and then it ends with like, and that's how I wrote Dunstan checks in. (laughs) (laughs) It's totally that, or it'll be like, I have this one technique, like it's the nutshell technique, and you're like, oh, what's that? And it's just basically someone being like, you really have to be able to tell the script in a nutshell. (laughs) You're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why the fuck is this a book? Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Anyway, uh, but I like getting into the background on these. on these. Uh, the, the David Saperstein, the novelist, is a, is a teacher at his alma mater right now. So it's uh, he landed okay. He was he's doing he's Take doing some classes. Fine. Yeah. Online. Um, and you know what? Those <laughs> books might be great. I mean, we're kind of poking fun of them because they're so different than the movie, but the movie is very silly. So, like, I mean, Alien Spa is not much sillier than, you know, breaking into the neighboring mansion that Brian Dennehy has bought. I mean, this movie spends a lot of time, for a movie about aliens, it spends a lot of time with those aliens making business transactions. <laughs> <laughs> They I find that house. interesting. That's How one thing they I like about in these situations. Like, there's no scene in ET where ET applied for a mortgage. <laughs> Should have been. <laughs> um, yeah, there's. I, I please step in if you have any more behind the scenes. But the only thing that I could really find is kind of a a, a thing that happened and it was written on IMDb that I couldn't corroborate. Uh, with any other article that Wilford Brimley and Steve Gutenberg, because Wilford Brimley was fifty when he shot this, so he wasn't. They had to dye his hair. Um, yeah, he was, was young. He was yeah. He What's was like that a, thing? Isn't there like a Twitter that's like the age? It celebrates people when they get to the age that Wilford Brimley was when he started in Cocoon. Yeah, really? and I was I was thinking about that watching this because that's that whole thing is kind of meant to be like, hey, this person is like as old as Wilford Brimley was in Cocoon. It's like, <laughs> holy shit, Paul Rudd is as old as Wilfred Brimley but it's like you know it's like people think Max von Sydow was so old in The Exorcist because he had all this makeup on like they yeah you know, they, <laughs> it's like they, people don't understand how movies yeah. 
Yeah. Like they trick you into thinking he's that old. He's not that old. So it's weird that that's become the kind of this yardstick by which we mention, like, by which we measure, like, when you become a senior in our, but he, in our cultural I, I think the thing is about <laughs> Wilfred Brimley is that he, like, he, he embodies oldness so so well like he he just seems like he is older than he was because he was doing like this wasn't the only thing that he was doing at this time and he didn't really look that different in anything else that i saw him in in the diabetes commercials or the quaker oats or hard target or anything like that like he's always looked like that (laughs) the hard target sounds like sounds like a bad uh, that's that's another word for boner (laughs) (laughs) yeah but he it's it's so funny because he does i think he's just so hairy that he looks old he just has oh my god his chest hair is like resting on his chin at one point. Yeah, and his eyebrows are trying to shake hands with it. It's it's like he's he's a, he's a hairy guy, which uh, is going to be me when I'm older. God damn it! And, it's amazing. But like he, that's that's why we think he's old is because he's in all these old things too that like reinforce that. Like Quaker Oats is not you know you're not like selling that to thirty somethings. Same with diabetes. Well, stuff. I don't know. I went on a rabbit hole after watching this movie, and I watched like half an hour of Wilford Brimley's Quaker Oats commercials <laughs> <laughs> because they're so good. They're hilarious. They're so earnest. One of them, he's like, Quaker Oats, it feels good twice. Once when they go in your mouth, and then <laughs> there's just enough space where you wonder what the second part is, <laughs> and then they make you feel great all day. <laughs> Doesn't he have like a crazy like military backstory or something? Like, I don't know. I know that he is like a conservative Republican sort of dude. I assume that he like you know did like the military when he was younger. Yeah, look it up. Um, He's got some. Kind I did of find basic. out that he is a jazz singer. Oh, nice. <laughs> he put out he put out an album of jazz. Is, is he just uh, yeah, scatting? like of like jazz standards? Yeah. Scappadapadoop. <laughs> I heard. <laughs> I heard him do um, my funny Valentine was very uh, was very stirring, and he also does, which I think was for the Jerry Lewis telethon. He did a version of uh, "It's Not Easy Being Green." <laughs> it's not so easy being green, having to spend all day the color of the leaves. When I think it might be nicer being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that. Oh, this oh is God. what I was thinking of. So he was a he dropped out of high school to become a Marine. But then after that, he worked as a bodyguard for Howard Hughes. <laughs> That's amazing. What a life. That dude had an amazing life before he started as an old person at the age of 49. He, he did so many cool things. He was just like, you know, yeah, I can be a retired person before I'm 50. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, man. I would like to talk about the sequel briefly because yeah. I watched the trailer and, yeah, I, I watched that movie way more. And I'm sure it's terrible. And it was a huge failure. <laughs> I've, I don't think I've ever seen it. What happens in it? 
It barely made its money back. It's like, uh, I can't remember exactly, but I did watch the trailer. So it's like <laughs> the trailer opens with like the, the little boy who's now like an awkward teenager <laughs> because time <laughs> passed. And uh, and he's like talking to his mom, trying to like he's I, this poor little boy has been cursed with this uh, burden of of knowing that or believing that his grandfather was was summoned to an alien planet and no one you know everyone thinks he's crazy it opens with like him again trying to say like mom he went with aliens she's like not this again no he's dead he's been dead for five years you have to accept it and then the doorbell rings she's like as as she's like saying like he's been dead for five years she answers the door and it's wilford brimley and all of his old (laughs) friends and they're like we're back and then she faints and is like and they probably play a pop song. I can't remember. It, it is uh, it did not wow. look good. And uh, there, there was just so many like scenes that didn't even make sense for the characters that I had just watched in the original. Like the uh, Raquel Welch's daughter, like uh, meets up again with Steve Gutenberg, and like they go on a date at dinner and then she is uh i guess amorous so she just starts like glowing and starts levitating in front of all the other, and everyone in the restaurant freaks out I'm like why would they they were so secretive in the first movie Jesus. why would they do that but the plot of this one is uh and i think one of them is pregnant i think uh Right. When Verdon is playing, who we haven't mentioned was just the subject of yes. that miniseries. Yeah, she was played by Michelle Williams. Yeah. I was going to trivia that to you guys. Oh, crazy. Could have been a trivia yeah. question, just saying. Fosse Verdon. Well, I am. But I think she's pregnant. So, like, but it wasn't like an alien impregnated her. I think it was like her husband, which is still weird. It's still weird. Yeah. Whenever old people have sex, that's weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it, uh, it, the plot is like one of the cocoons has been like found by like the government or something. So all of the old people have to like break into this facility, except for, I think, Hume Cronin, who dies in the beginning of it. Oh, and they all break in and they steal the cocoon from Courtney Cox, who works at the right. facility. Yeah. And there's something I did. This wasn't in the trailer, but I looked up the Wikipedia and there's something where like uh, Raquel Welch's daughter, whose name is Kitty, by the way. Oh, God. <laughs> Which right. Is a weird name for an alien. An alien. Uh, she says something to Steve Gutenberg. She has like a, a vision of the future where he, you know, he has a family and a wife and his wife has like a heart shaped uh, birthmark. And then at the end, Steve Gutenberg is with Courtney Cox and she has that birthmark. So that's who he's meant to be with. And it's, uh, it, it uh, just sounds awful. And there, I get there's more scenes where like the, it, the old people are doing things that young people do better to their faces. Like they're, <laughs> like they're, they're back from being, you know, touring the galaxy and seeing presumably all these amazing things, but there's still like Wilfred Brimley and Don Amici are going to a basketball court being like, I bet you $500 we can beat you in a game of basketball. Yes. So like these frat boys. <laughs> I oh, want to see Don Amici and Wilfred Brimley conning young people at basketball. <laughs> I would watch an entire movie of that. Yeah. <laughs> also, I don't know if this is appropriate to say, but I'm pretty sure I saw Don Amici's penis through his shorts. <laughs> Hello, Michi. Hello, Michi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, right. were not, they were not anticipating high-definition television. <laughs> no. No, no. <laughs> made this movie. 
Um, yeah, I should also say that um, Ron Howard was 30 years old when he directed this movie. It's insane. Wow. I saw a picture a couple of days ago of Ron Howard, the Fonz, John Belushi, and Dan Aykroyd from the just probably like 1981, and they look blitzed out of their minds. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> I was like, Opie, wow. Opie, more like opiates. Am I right? Probably. He did put all his family in this movie like he normally puts his brother in this movie, but his dad was the cop at the end. Yeah. Um, I, I recognize him now. I've seen yeah. Rance so Howard, right? Rance. Ron Howard movies. Yeah, yeah, Rance. He passed away, I think, somewhat recently, too. Hmm. Wasn't it? Hmm. This movie was cursed. Everyone, <laughs> Half of the lead cast are all dead now. What happened? We, we still got Brimley. That's true. You'll mm. never die because of the pool. <laughs> um, so yeah what did you guys think about this movie do you think it's it's rewatchable you know it was really slow and i you know i didn't remember anything from it i'm not sure if i even saw it but i was watching it and you know watching all the things happen and all the beats and the plot and at one point i was like okay i just gotta see how much of this is left and there was still an hour. It's I, the so same thing. Yeah. slow. Yeah. And I, it's, a lot of it is just like, on one hand, I think, I don't want to like dehumanize old people because I think old people are great and we're all going to be them and um, unless something terrible happens. But uh, I, I like old people getting to live their life and I like old people getting to, you know, getting back into the swing, getting their groove back. I like those kind of movies to a degree. You know, I've seen on Golden Pond, you know, old people, they can be entertaining, but this was a lot of like, I don't know, it was just it was very slow. It was uh it was kind of boring, you know? And yeah. uh although at the end the 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 alien proposition sort of like we said, sort of re-energized it, it doesn't feel like a cohesive piece. And so many of the things are, like, kind of badly directed. Like, the whole first scene where Steve Gutenberg and Kitty start talking, like, it's just so groan-worthy. And I just, I didn't like so much of it. On the other hand, I think it has a great cast. I love all the actors in it. I think that they're all really great, though. Wilford Brimley is, like... You know, he's a, he's on the edge with his horniness, but you know he's like he's a he's a clearly in horny old man territory. What can be done? This is just a truthful depiction of that, but at the same time, like a little too much. So I don't know. I'm gonna say mildly rewatchable because yeah. I think there's a lot of good stuff in it, but it's also like so slow, and I, maybe I'm just too old for it. You know, I. <laughs> I yeah. I felt myself needing to go for a dip in that revitalizing pool halfway through. It was like, <laughs> give me a cocoon bath. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, JM? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Like it was super slow. It it had some good ideas. Like I said, I think in the second half it definitely had uh, more of an impact. But yeah, I, I don't know. Also, like looking at it today, like there's some really not great things about it i mean it's not a very diverse movie it's, it's no 100 percent of the cast is very white and the and... poor the poor guy the one the one black person in this movie is like hey are you guys doing something in that pool and they're like it's not for you like get out of here <laughs> and they just gaslight him until he leaves it's awful 
And the, like, I feel like they tried to kind of have like Steve Gutenberg's character be like a creep who is redeemed or like a shallow guy who kind of, uh, you know, is is awakened to like a a more spiritual form of love by like this experience with the alien. <laughs> but you never get that with the way Steve Gutenberg plays it, which is fine. No. I, you know, I don't mind steve gutenberg but he's great at playing steve gutenberg but yeah, like he has that one note down yeah you don't really get anything more so i think like they touched on a lot of good ideas and like i said i think at the end it kind of manages after all of this messiness to kind of land a kind of nice message about about how we view uh loved ones passing on and and letting go of that and then they made that sequel which completely torpedoes that message and we can view this movie on its own but it's hard to uh to do that completely when you remember that that's out there so i kind of feel like this movie had a some good ideas that 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 they they ruined occasionally but but again there's a lot that's good in there i I, i'm conflicted i say marginally rewatchable marginally Uh, marginally perhaps maybe i i i I don't know i'm torn but uh i mean i wouldn't rush out to rewatch i I mean i wouldn't go to the pains you have to (laughs) to watch it (laughs) Uh, what about you blaine it's just such a strange movie from like the concept in the book to then change some things but then not change enough to make it make sense with itself like if they had the ship why didn't they just take the pods up? Like what? But they wouldn't have survived. They explained that. I mean, but like, take up. But some they also water they have a spaceship, too. but they don't have a boat. Like, why yeah. do they even <laughs> need to involve this guy? Yeah, it's there's there's so many weirdnesses to it. Um, I do like that the you know the and kind of depressing to read about the book um, whose what's main message is that they were keeping the Atlanteans there for as long as they could but then the hole in the ozone and the acidification of the oceans was killing them and they had to get get them out um and so it was more of like an eco message so i feel like that might have been nice in this movie yeah that would have been great like make it more about something yeah it was probably like 20th century fox was like oh we just got bought out by exxon mobil so we're gonna need to uh i know that didn't happen that was true the environment that's gonna last forever (laughs) mark my words oh god put them down put my name next to them so i think this could have been a better movie it felt like it was a very um lackadaisical movie like it would just kind of drove all over the place and didn't have a destination that it really thought about. Um, but I did like you, JM. I, I did appreciate the kind of this is a certain type of death for these people, and and certainly for their loved ones, whom they seemed not to care too much about, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, leaving behind and not telling where they were going, except for Wil- Wil- Wilford Brimley. Ah, I like the conversation that Wilford and his wife have in the uh, car, where they're like, you know. Are you having second thoughts? I like that. I like how Wilfred Brimley is like, you know, I mean, he's the old classic man who like doesn't share his feelings, but sort of grunts them. And then you're like, ah, and you're like, ah, he's trying. He's just trying. (laughs) I will also say on a kind of serious note, 
like as much as I think this movie doesn't do a great job of it, I do like that it focuses on these seniors Mm -hmm. in this rest home because that's not a place where we typically get mainstream movies that's those aren't characters who we typically give voices to and and like rob said old people seniors deserve our respect and also you know like on a very serious note like we're living through a pandemic that has uh, ravaged long-term care facilities and you know it really kind of uh this movie is as full of faults as it is like i think it does kind of remind us of the stories that uh, that these people who even their families kind of ignore you know mm-hmm. so i you know i would like to see you know i want to see a remake of cocoon someone Whoa. remake cocoon bring it back yeah do it who again. would you get to play the Wilford Brimley part? I'm thinking <laughs> Adam Driver. <laughs> Definitely. You did it. You did it. Put the put one Maybe of the a Chris, Helmsworth. A Chris in there. You know, you got it. You got it made. And then for the for the senior ladies, for the senior ladies, I'm thinking like a really old lady like Natalie Portman. <laughs> <laughs> Just like oh, a senior citizen. The more Hollywood says it changes, the less it does. Um, yeah, and and uh, I was reading a. I'm with you, JM, on on that. That it, at least it tells. Uh, uh, this is this is a movie about a marginalized section of of society, and um, Amici was quoted as saying about this movie that um, they were asking him, like, you know, do you think that it's you know sad growing old. <laughs> Which is what what a what a great interviewer and uh, Amici was like yeah it's but it's only sad because of social security and they were like well, why like social security provides security when you're older and he was like well um, you know it started out as providing um, income for people that didn't have a retirement and that's good but now what it is it's is it a way it's a way for families to use that money to put them up somewhere and not look at them anymore. And, uh, and yeah, I feel like as a society, we really have to take a look at that because as you said, the COVID, uh, thing really exposed how just awful our long-term care homes are. And having put my own grandmother in a, a, a couple homes, um, they're the government want run ones because that's all we can afford. It's they're They're not great. They're just, they're just not great places. And yeah, people, and people aren't like paid enough to work there. Um, like when I was looking at Clint Howard being like, oh, you're the bad guy and all this, like, but you're probably paid like three bucks an hour in 1985 to like look after hundreds of people. Like, I don't know. Wait, Clint Howard was the bad guy? (laughs) He he was kind of like the jerk in this movie. Anyway. Hmm. Um, I did like that there generally weren't any villains. mm -hmm. Like even the aliens were just so... Kind. There wasn't even like a, a bad alien amongst them or something. Like it was just, it was a very uh, emotional yeah. movie. And even in, the, in a way, the bad senior, the one who's like doesn't want to go and who reveals their thing, like he has a really poignant moment. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the most poignant moment humanity. in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like that about. It. Yeah, re- remake it. Yeah, why not? I I, I would see that. Mm-hmm. Just shorter. N- the, yeah, but now ninety you know, minutes, eighty minutes. <laughs> the problem is, is that old. Hollywood people now are too hot, you know, like 
Like, if you got a, a, a an old person like Helen Mirren to be in this movie, it'd be like, well, I mean, she's still like she's she's still got it, you know? They'd, right? They'd show the sex scenes, is what you're saying. That's right, and they would be <laughs> they would be high. Yeah, it's kind of shocking they haven't remade this movie. There's like 80 exotic Marigold Hotel movies or whatever. <laughs> like, be yeah, make make this make a movie. A cocoon, cocoon <laughs> reboot, not not you know remake, not a reboot. I don't want to see you know Wilfred Brimley showing up to like hand the torch. Why <laughs> the he's next... uh, actually the right age? That's true. <laughs> It'd be amazing. You know, I'm down with that. I'm down with that. Uh, Bring him back, and uh, and you you can tell us who you would cast in this movie too. The listeners. Cocoon Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Let's let's get in there. Yeah, I mean, tell us, tweet us, who would you want to see in the Cocoon remake? Yeah, it'd be great to it would be great to do. But that's it for rewatchability this week. You can join us very soon for another rewatchability, and you can always find our back catalog on uh, rewatchability.com. There's a bunch up on Apple Podcasts, and um, you can get it wherever podcasts are got. The ocean. <laughs> You can go into the ocean, get a shell, put it to your ear, and you'll hear me going, uh...